everyone. So, for the introductory to season four of my podcast, I have asked you many times what subjects you guys would like me to cover. There is but one subject in the current news that I am going to cover, however, and that is the, the, the bad air quality here in Denver. Right now, I'm sitting outside. It's almost, it's, it's, it's afternoon, so it's like right in the middle of the afternoon. We were bunked out of our apart, bumped out of our apartment for the foreseeable hour or so because guy goes in and he's treating the apartment for you know what. I'm not even going to say it. Some of you might think, what the heck? But the guy, the guy is doing better than most people are but you just gotta be careful anyway so our apartment is 13 stories up when we're down here we can feel the sun but it's even worse when you're up there when you're up on the 13th floor one of the things that we've had to deal with over the last months is haze and smoke Climate change ultimately means you're going to get more haze and smoke. And I'm sitting out here in a sunny day and I don't smell a darn thing of smoke. But Denver has had barely any good air quality over the summer. And honestly, I want to know what you guys would think. I had a posting where... (sighs) I was talking about basically what we need to do to save the planet. One of the ways we can save our planet is we need renewable clean energy. Otherwise, it ain't going to be that nice outside and we might actually get the apartment burnt down or something. It could be worse. But global warming is a thing and it ain't a myth. It's science. It does. NASA says, you know, the globe's warming up and stuff. There's lots and lots of climate change resources you can look at. I also want to talk about one climate justice activist and she wrote a book. So it's a book called Youth to Power and it's mainly for the youth but I want to talk about why I think it's important to do climate justice for those that are really into that kind of stuff. Thank you all very much. got a very special present for all of you, but I am not going to put the intro song into the um, podcast thing today because, well, for one, yesterday I had quite a 9-11. It's September 12th, 2021, and I am this freaking close. Well, how do I say it? First of all, some of what you may hear may contain a bit of a strong language. I don't know how to mark it as explicit on Spotify. I'm sorry. I don't know if I should. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, you're going to love what I'm about to say in the podcast. I also wanted to address something that people are starting to do during COVID. 
and that is not responding very nicely to help posts needed on Facebook or even Nextdoor. I'm hearing rumors that Nextdoor is becoming a troll's paradise as well. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. And if you want to be interviewed for the podcast, just send me an email at denverqueen at gmx.com. You can also like me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash throne room podcast or podcast.denverqueen.com. I actually had to change the uh, link for the anchor page on the Facebook page. And yes, I'm going to announce the airing once I'm done here. Anyway, sit back, grab the popcorn and coffee and enjoy. Welcome to a kickoff week for the fourth season of The Throne Room with Beth Tarasi. Disclaimer, you are hearing a loud as, well, it's not super loud, but this is my bedroom fan. We have absolutely no fan in the living room because the living room fan broke. So we need to find a fan for the living room that fills the room with air and stuff. Um, forgive me, I'm getting a lot of notifications and I'm going to be listening to your comments. I will be collecting emails from all you listeners. So if you want to get in contact with the podcast, here's how you can get in contact. You can get in contact with us by the following email address. DenverQueen at gmx.com I've been receiving spam, so please put the throne room feedback or whatever. Something that tells me that this is about my throne room podcast in the subject line. Or if you would like to be an interviewee for the podcast, I've got a couple people I'd like to interview please put interview inquiry in the subject line and then your name. Just put interview inquiry for and then your name in the subject line because I've been getting a lot of spammy looking ones that say like, hi dear or hi this and da 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 da. And Trenton's in the living room listening to some cool stuff. He's listening to Reaper crap, whatever. This week we're going to discuss September 11th because it's been 20 years since the attack on American soil. And I'm going to talk a little bit about is The Handmaid's Tale really irrelevant fiction? And I just want to let you guys know that since we were on hiatus, season four of The Handmaid's Tale has been out on Hulu. And I am just delving into the Hulu show because there's a lot of things to unpack about it. There's just tons of things to unpack about seasons three and four of The Handmaid's Tale. Seasons one and two pretty much encompass the atrocities of the Gilead regime. Now, I understand that some of you might think that Gilead is not a real place. Yes, it isn't. But you know what? We do have an actual Gilead on the planet Earth. And you know what? Sadly, it's Afghanistan. 
it is Pakistan, it is most Muslim-majority countries that don't allow women to go to school, don't allow them to participate in government, don't allow them to make decisions about themselves as far as gender, evolution, and things like that. They can't do that. You can't even be gay or trans in, a com- in, a, in, a, in the company of Taliban fighters in places like Afghanistan. You can't do that stuff. And, you know, I actually did find a chapter in Ayan Hirsiali's new book, Prey. Prey is a brand new book by Ayan Hirsiali. I'll be discussing that sometime in the season, although not this week. But she did point out in her very back chapter about the road to Gilead. And she did make references to I am Atwood's Handmaid's Tale and Testament's books. I'm very proud of her for having noticed that Afghanistan is a Gilead right here on Earth. And we can't have that. The United States is grappling with its own crap. But for one, I don't want to have to you know, talk about the news and the current situation going on. But I am going to talk a little bit about positive things that are going on in spite of the negative crap going on in the news. What I do want to say is, though, I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of Afghan refugees right here in Colorado. We are one of the states that is actually taking in Afghan refugees. And we're taking in the Afghans because... We want them to have a place to stay, and there are ways you can help. If you want to, just, you can Google, like, how to help Afghan refugees in name of state. And in Colorado, we have a lot of different organizations that help. Uh, Lutheran Family Services is one such thing. Now, I know some of you might not be Lutheran, but Lutheran Family Services has helped Muslim families, like my ex's aunt and uncle, settle right here in Denver, Colorado. And Nadifa Muhammad and her family have settled here, and they love it here, and they're from Somalia in Kenya. But Somalia is a failed state. It's been in civil war for however long. And Nadifa's, most of Nadifa's kids were born in Kenya, but there was one little girl who was born in the United States, and I'm extremely proud to say She's probably going to be about 10 or 11 years old. I hope that she can, you know, savor the fruits of United States education and stuff like that. She will be okay. Because Nadifa is a wonderful woman. She and her uncle, she and the uncle, um, Aden Ishmael, are both very well educated. And I've had Aden as a driver before. But, you know, I kind of think that there are a lot of Afghans, Somalis and the like here in Denver. We have a very beautiful rainbow city right here. And I didn't know this, but there's an Ethiopian radio station. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, my ex would listen to the, like the Somali AM BB, what? He would listen to the BBC Somali AM radio thingy. And it was really weird. It's really weird. But you can get lots of different stations of exile groups. And I think that the Afghans are going to do the same thing that the Somalis and the Ethiopians have done before them. 
Speaking of Ethiopia, HRW reports that there is a mess up going on in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. It is a mess. I'm not even going to get into it because it's just too big of a mess. Um, I want to wish a happy Labor Day to all Americans here in the United States and in Canada and other parts of the world that celebrate. Um, work is a very important thing and I do want to get into the importance of work and what it does and how it works but you know I want to talk about the ideal job versus what we're really dealing with as far as like labor so um, I guess it'll be uh, I'll just go right into the labor thing right now labor is something that a lot of we need a division of labor in order for civilization to grow and flourish if any of you did not take World Civ with Mr. Sidoli in my high school class, you wouldn't have understood what the hell a civilization actually does and what it needs. One of the things you need in a civilization is an organized government, but that's not what we're going to talk about. Another thing about civilization is you have a social hierarchy. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. It just depends on how you it, it works. But one of the most fundamental things that makes human civilization so special is the division of labor. We're celebrating that today. And as I record this at the time of this recording, it's about Monday, September 6th. And labor can be anything from the free domestic labor of wives and mothers to the highly paid labor of folks like Oh, singers and musicians like Lil Nas X and the like. And then there's also the labor of construction workers. There is labor such as, you know, some of the work that gets done in the kitchens and the restaurants and such. Since we've been on hiatus, restaurants have been closing and opening everywhere. And it's like the economy is going busto. El busto. Uh, sorry. I didn't want to make references to any last names here, but it's busted. The economy is completely busted. <laughs> One of the things I've noticed, though, about the labor market here in the United States is that there is a shortage. There is a big shortage in the United States for labor. And one of those... Um, one of those things is, well, the things we're all short on is cooks and waitresses and people that can actually read menus and read your order correctly. There are teenagers taking over, which, while I think it's a great thing that teenagers can get jobs, there is a problem, I think, with teenagers that are not responsible getting the jobs. Now, suppose I had a teenage son or teenage daughter. I would expect them to get a job at 16, but not get a car till 18, because I cannot sit in the front of a car and drive them around. I also would have to have authorized people pick them up as long as they don't have a car, they would have to say the family password. And there are a few other safety bits and tips I can get into in, later in the season. But my book of the week 
Um, I'm trying to think of what book that you've read has to do with work. But um, for, for the labor market, there's a shortage of good, good people that are, you know, like teachers and the like. And teacher is a very important piece of labor that I don't think a lot of people appreciate. I'd like to dedicate this little thing to teachers. Teachers. Hello, teachers. And I want to talk about the teacher that I really, really want to um, emulate in schools if I ever taught that way. It would not be Mrs. or Mr. Davis, the chorus teacher I had in Titusville High School. Tom Davis is no longer... I think he... I don't know where he's at. Probably six feet under. I have no idea. I haven't even met, haven't even, it's been like, um, God, it's been 20 years since I've seen him. Ah, goodness. But I do want to, um, I want to talk about my friends at Florida State teacher, teachers, Florida State University College of Music Education. I could have easily become a music teacher in Florida, but I do want to say that Florida State does have its big drawbacks though. Access barriers to the books and inability to help somebody that doesn't have good advocacy skills was what led me to have to drop out of Florida State. I had to move to Denver, Colorado because had I remained a dropout at Florida State and not done anything else, I would have been isolated and not allowed to see friends, not allowed to have friends. Frankly, it would have been really hard for me to live in a place of guardianship and no friends. So I moved to Denver and this is where I'm at. But I also want to dedicate this post, this little bit of the podcast episode to my buddy, Caitlin. She is a teacher in Bradenton, Florida. She's a very good teacher. Caitlin goes above and beyond and out of her way to make sure that students, she teaches, I believe she does low-income students in Bradenton. Caitlin has been known to say things like, does anyone need baby clothes? Or does anyone need clothes in this size or that or whatever? And she goes on and on. She not only is a teacher, but she is a color guard person. She is the color guard coach for the young color guard kids. And she absolutely loves it. She loves it to death. And I want to say thank you, Caitlin, for your hard work in making sure your students... In fact, I think the students call her Ms. Money, or do they call her Ms. Money? I don't know. Uh... I think she got married, but I don't think she wanted to change her name because of professional reasons. A lot of women don't do that, but anyway. My friend is Caitlin Money. She is a former band student who, you know, we were both in the band together, and Caitlin hates me. Well, sort of. Um, Caitlin does not hate me. I know she doesn't. I know she doesn't. But Caitlin does not hate me at all. What I, what I mean when I say she hates me is I learned 
to play the flute and I suddenly started learning the friggin' Titusville High School fight song faster than Caitlin could have done it. And Caitlin was like, how could she do that? And I hadn't even been playing flute too long and I learned the darn fight song and it was like, okay, here we go. But I am very proud of the woman Caitlin Money has become. She has gotten married, she has moved on, she's done teaching in Bradenton, Florida. And she does a lot of things out of her way and above and beyond. This is the kind of teacher we need a lot more of because students, the labor market sucks. I'm gonna say why, because one, Let's suppose that our friend Caitlin was a waitress. Caitlin could work at a place like, oh, Village Inn, Denny's, whatever. But waitresses live on tips. Tips have a racy past. I'm not going to go into that unless you want to go to a history podcast or something like that, you know. But but the, uh, the, the racy past of tips has to do with slavery, so... But being a waitress means you have to live on tips. Or if Caitlin wanted to be one of those help desk ladies that you call and you say, my PC's broken, I can't get windows to work. Guess what? She would only be earning about $9 plus. No health insurance. And if Caitlin gets pregnant, The Pregnant Workers Fairness Act is on its way to the desk of Joe Biden, I hope. But the American Civil Liberties Union estimates that a lot of pregnant workers get shoved out of their jobs because they are pregnant. And that's discrimination. It's illegal. And, but here's the bigger part. When Caitlin's kids are born, she's going to need at least six months plus of maternity leave But a lot of jobs don't offer maternity leave. The best way an employer can be good to their employees is to give them paid parental leave. And I personally am a huge fan of paid parental leave. Why? Because the baby needs to bond with mom and dad. If I had a child right now and I was working hard as ever, I could die of childbirth leaving Trenton wifeless, motherless. The child would have to be in the care of a father. And if Trenton was working, he'd have to take paternity leave. In other words, paternity leave, paid parental leave is essential for parents of any stripe and whatever. Um, If I didn't die, I would have to still survive being ripped away from my baby and not have any time to work or play with baby. I wouldn't mind playing with the baby and I wouldn't mind feeding baby and doing all the things that you do with baby. It wouldn't bother me all that much. What would bother me is if I couldn't do it enough. And if baby got sick, if child gets sick, I would have to miss work and have to choose between kid home alone sick or kid home sick with nurse. Mothers are usually very good nurses, as you can tell. Now, if Caitlin does become a mom, thankfully, teachers can 
somehow call in sick, but there's something that needs to be done for teachers so that they can call in sick. If Caitlin needs a mental health day, she needs to be able to call in and say, the kids are driving me bonkers. I need a mental health day. And she needs at least three mental health days a year, minimum. But it can go up, you know, you know what I'm saying? But if Caitlin was like, my little baby is running 101 fever and sniffles and whatever, I can't come into school today. She can't just go in and say that. What Caitlin would have to do is, first she'd have to write up a lesson plan for her sub. This is where I think secretaries would come in really nicely. You know, and if Caitlin had the online tools and apps to do it, if she gets sick, or if her baby is sick, or if, God forbid, the hubby is sick, here's what Caitlin needs to do. She needs to put, I don't know if she uses like Edline or what have you, but what they need to do is have it so that it emails a lesson plan to the office so she doesn't even have to get up and get in her car and go there sick as a dog. But then she also needs to include in the email, my baby is sick with 101 degree fever. My baby has the following symptoms, cough, sneezing, crying like crazy, whatever. Or you could say something like, my baby threw up today. Baby puked all over me and I can't even get my clothes on. I don't care what it is. And then it would also attach the lesson plan in the email. You would email your lesson plan to the office and the office would say, okay, we have a lesson plan here for Caitlin's class. Let's find a sub. And then they would, they would take care of finding the sub, not Caitlin. What Caitlin would need to do is concentrate on getting better or getting her baby better or helping hubby get better. It doesn't matter. Look, if, if you're sick, stay at home. That would be the rule that Caitlin would tell her kids. So if she got sick herself, I would hope that she would stay at home. And teachers don't always get the support and help they need with dealing with bonkers kids who are just like, I'm gonna bring a knife to school, you know? And not all kids do bring knives to school, let me just say that, but for the kids who do bring knives to school and cause aggressive crap to go on in school, teachers have to put up with a hell of a lot, I tell you. And honestly, I feel bad for the teachers who had to put up with, and, um, you know, we, we celebrated last year the 20th anniversary of Columbine, which was very hard to celebrate. Well, it wasn't really a celebration. It was a remembrance. It was more of a memorial of Columbine. And there were some teachers killed. I think there was like... There were staff and faculty killed at Columbine. But... You know, Columbine is a very tough thing to talk about because I was accused of making threats in class, but frankly, I didn't like the private schools that I was forced to go to, and St. Teresa Catholic, I don't think there are enough good qualified teachers at that school, and there are too many rules at that school, and... St. Teresa's, I could go into a whole spiel about their dress code being screaming rape culture. 
anti-fem and a lot of other things because Catholic schools, they, they also don't have the resources to accommodate blind people and honestly, I don't care. Because I heard there was a Christian school in Colorado that pushed out two people in their faculty and was disrespectful to people who are LGBTQ. And that's another thing. Caitlin, I'm pretty sure, might have LGBTQ kids in her class. I want her to make sure that she can have the resources to talk about the LGBTQ kids in her class and the LGBTQ kids in Caitlin's class would have to, you know, they would have to have the courage to come to her and say, mommy kicked me out of the house because I'm gay and teachers have to put up with that too. Teachers have to hotline kids who are abused. Now I understand if I abused my own child, I would have to be held responsible for it my mom never was held accountable for her inappropriate abuse. And my own, te- my own uh, t- TVI, the uh, teacher of the visually impaired, guidance counselor, and so on, had to call DCF. I'm tired of people thinking they can call DCF, though, on blind parents doing the accountability thing with their kids. I do not whip my children. I don't have any kids, thank goodness, but... If you're a teacher and you come to me saying you want to give me my child's report card, let's just say that I would email you and say, email me the report card or show me where I can find the report card on the internet. Because nowadays, a lot of teachers are posting, like, Edline was pretty much the, the rage in my high school days. And my mom had to use it. She's a teacher as well. But Edline is a very important thing. I mean, if I I find out there's a way to read the report card on the internet, I want to read my child's report card so that I can hold that kid accountable and say, hey, you know what? I saw that you got a D in math. Why? Is there something I can do to help you with your math? Do you not like math or something? And then I could just go on and, you know, I don't want my kid to be in trouble for having a D in math because... I just want them to understand that, you know, this is what needs to happen if you want to go to college or go to trade school. You have to have good grades, and I think getting good grades is all well and good, but, you know, there are a lot of bad lessons that parents do teach children, and I'll go into that in another time, but but teachers need to cooperate with blind parents who are wanting to hold their kids accountable for their report cards and stuff. Teachers may have any right to ask what's going on at home to a student, but I don't think blindness is enough to, you know, warrant an abusive raid by the police, a search of my house. And I know that teachers have a lot to put up with, but one of the things I think that teachers should put up with is this. They need to put up with children basically complain and parents, other parents complaining about the um, textbooks that kids have. The, you know, there are right wing and left wing groups alike who are saying, give us neutral work 
to work on and stuff like that. And unfortunately, children in Florida are banned from learning about, you know, critical race theory and stuff like that. But it's, it's like there was a teacher that was fired for teaching critical race theory in her class. And I'm going to tell you something right now. It does affect me and my partner and our child personally. I had a friend who wrote on Facebook that she was racially profiled at a beauty salon and accused of stealing beauty products as if being a woman of color is a crime if you want to look beautiful and a woman of color. And we need to teach about racial profiling in school. We also need to do role plays that are safe and effective in teaching the kids about things like um, what does racial profiling look like? If they ask me that question, I'm going to tell them, well, suppose the police pull you over and you weren't even speeding. Suppose someone accused you of stealing groceries from the store. I would even show them a CBC video about a black, white, indigenous guy. There was a black guy, a white guy, and an indigenous guy, and they all were doing the same thing at the same time in the same store and in different provinces in Canada. And it's the same deal. I mean, racism has its own problem in Canada as well. I think the U.S. is a lot worse because it's the U.S. and the election system somehow elected an idiot last year, last election, last... No, it wasn't last year. It was 2016. My bad. But um, if our election system goes and elects an idiot, you know... I think that's a very tough thing to say, but, you know, idiots are not exactly a good thing. And racism is also another factor in the labor market. Ableism is a big thing in the labor market as well. Excuse me? Oops. No, but I have also seen a lot of people on Facebook complain about the labor shortage in terms of them not getting the jobs that they are qualified for. A lot of jobs, I have a friend in California who wants a job, but people are telling her this job requires you to drive. You need a driver license. We don't wanna spend all of the paycheck on taxis and things like that. But here's the deal. A lot of jobs that don't involve driving still require a vehicle registration and driver license. And I think that's very discriminatory against people with disabilities that do not drive. And there are no other job applications, opportunities out there that allow me to do what I need to do without the nuisance of driver license requirements. And as a person who is blind, I, I feel that that's, that's kind of what we need to worry about right now in the labor market. We have teachers that need to teach kids, and we also need to r remind ourselves that voc-ed is public school's neglected stepchild still. Even after the book Smart Kids, Bad Schools was written in 2008, 
the the whole idea of voc ed is, is much needed. We need to teach kids about how to be, if they want to be a chef, at least we have an Emily Griffith Opportunity School that can teach them culinary arts and things like that and cooking and all that stuff. But one of the things that really bothers me about Emily Griffith is, well, they don't really have much for the blind and I don't really want to go to a college that requires me to buy all these stupid textbooks that I can't read. But Emily Griffith does have lots of opportunities and there, there are women out there who have been to Emily Griffith Opportunity School. Well, everyone's been to Emily Griffith. If, you, if you've been to a trade school and we also need to make sure that students are learning dentistry. If they want to be a dentist, maybe they can go into being dental hygienists at first. And, you know, and then there's beauticians. They need to learn how to braid black girl hair and they need to learn how to cut every sort of hair. And, and then there's Madam C.J. Walker's hair products. I don't know what the heck they are now, but, um, but yeah, there's a lot of things that things, there's a lot of things the labor market is not doing for our children. This whole idea of you will go to college, you will go to college. College is not the only way to educate our children. I mean, like I said earlier, I want my teenage child to get a job before they get a driver license. And that means if they get a job, what they can do is this. They can learn responsibility. They can, um, they can learn... I mean, if they do get a driver's license, that's another thing, but you know, they're gonna need a bicycle. They're gonna need either a bicycle or a bus pass because I'm not gonna drive them in the car and I don't want them getting their learner's permit at 14 because I can't sit in the front of the car and watch them like that. If they do get a teenage driver license thing, then I'm going to have to put limits on where they can go in their little digital key thing. And, you know, they'll just go to school or work and that's it. Until they learn how to drive safely. And the driving safely thing is going to require a lot of effort on their part because they're the one who's sighted, but they're not going to be allowed to own a car of their very own that's brand new until they're 18 even still because I don't want to be responsible for paying a high rate of car insurance. I want them to get at least a 2000 model car or later, maybe between 22,000 and 2015 car. I don't know how far it'll be, but you know, within the last 10 year model of a car, but if they have a thing where you, you know, you can get like an electric car, I'll go for that too. As long as it's not like the super latest and greatest and has a high car insurance rate. Otherwise, they need to get a darn good paying job and they have to pay car insurance. They have to be responsible for their own car insurance. They have to pay their own car insurance and all that stuff. 
because car insurance for for those who have a wreck for those that commit car accidents is higher if you get a ticket there goes your chance of having a low car insurance rate and they will have a higher deductible I don't know lower deductible higher I don't know but they have to do a copay each month for car insurance and if they do get into an accident it's not gonna be it's not always gonna be their fault but you know if the they need to make sure that if they get hurt you know we need to make sure they're on a legal show plan and I can talk about that later but but you know the labor market is going to be very short without teenagers who are responsible they do need to learn responsibility and all teenagers I think would benefit from getting a summer job or a permanent job but if the teens want to work a night shift at McDonald's I really don't care but what's what's important here is that the um the labor market really needs to hire more disabled people too because disabled people who are seeking work will do the work without complaint and a lot of times they're very loyal customers because it's very hard for us to get jobs if you hire disabled then you're getting you're, you're kind of striking gold and it's like jackpot for you anyway happy labor day to everybody celebrating labor day and have a very good rest of your week there will be some more recordings and just just look for all the little bits here if you want if you like what you heard here on the throne room with beth tarasi please donate to buy me a coffee i think i've got it set up i'm gonna go check it out and see what it you know how I can talk about this with you guys. I am planning on doing some listener supported stuff. So keep your eyes peeled on Spotify and Apple Music. You know, Apple I don't know if it's on Apple Music, but if if you're listening on Spotify, you'll get more content and things like that. You know, I might consider. Um, thank you all and have a great day. This is not going to be your typical podcast episode, I guess. Um, I'm going to get me a drink. This is a little bit of talk over a drink type, type of a subject, so... Um, let me decide which drink I will have. I am going to have to send the lady out to get some powder. Some real powder. I'll just get a Sprite. I love Sprite. But... What else? Bottoms up, everybody. And this reminds me of some things I'm doing to try to get some monetary support for this podcast. 
There will be some changes. I may put some bonus content behind the paywall, which a lot of, ooh, hi. Shoot, okay. That was the show screen in the living room, okay. Now I'm just gonna open this. It appears that over the hiatus break, people have taken it upon themselves to troll when I ask for help. I'm going to copy, I'm gonna try and copy a post, I actually did a post on my personal timeline. If you liked the throne room with Beth Rossi on Facebook. I am guessing that you already are on my personal page. The personal page has a PSA that pretty much explains how to ask for help, how not to respond when you are confronted with one of those help wanted posts. It doesn't matter who from. But if someone asks for help with a sitter or a reader or a driver, you need to be able to confront yourself, your inner demons, and ask yourself how Oh yeah. This sprite is delicious. You need to ask yourself how the person can be helped. So say I asked for help with watching a child while Trenton and I do what I call parent time. Actually there was one health family on the Discovery Health Channel that had overweight kids, out of control kids, that kind of crap. You kind of get the picture. The the person who went in and did the intervention on the kid's behalf was like, you need to do parent time. And what that is, is just time for adults to go out and do adult things, like go to a movie, do things they enjoy together, because it would really help the adults. And I, I can see where Lee Baker would come in when she says, you know, she was talking about a blended family that was having trouble with their son, so they, they were told to go without the kids. But there's only one issue. The kid, the older kid, basically sexually assaulted the younger kid, and it just got really disgusting from there. Hmm. There's another thing that I'm going to talk about. If you want huge compensation for babysitting my kids, you can't really get it because we're low income and we, we would need someone and to schedule our date nights and we'd have to make sure to use our food stamps to get groceries for the kids lunch 
say if we had a babysitter that was coming over that afternoon and during the kids' lunch, so that Trent and I could at least go out and have our own lunch. The kids would need a nutritious lunch, which I would have sitting out on the kitchen counter. All the ingredients would then be prepared. For example, it might be, say, a ham and cheese sandwich or... I might try like vegetables, like a vegetable platter and oh yeah, kids do need to eat nutritious things, things they like as well. So if I have those things on the counter, I'm going to leave an instruction with the babysitter to cook or prepare or whatever, feed the kids that. And I'm going to tell the, the sitter where everything is. Just like with a home health care worker, the sitter has to be someone I can trust. And I would have guidelines. I did write in the post about what kind of guidelines I would want for a sitter. But just so you guys who don't have my Facebook know, basically you can't have a sex offender or a thief for a babysitter. The babysitter cannot be, I don't really think I can trust anybody under 16 years of age to sit for an infant. I don't know about adolescents. Adolescents, sometimes they can be good, but certain age adolescents will not be allowed to sit for my children because then social workers will have a hullabaloo and I'm going to address that in just a second. But. Um, Anyway, just because I write a help wanted post, that does not give you the license to whisper to a social worker, that is an incompetent person who needs a guardian. You can't whisper things like that to social workers. You cannot whisper that I am incompetent. It is not your place to say that I am incompetent. Only a judge can make that decision. And as for, you know, if you want to look up my psychiatrist, you can't. You want to look up my therapist? Don't bother. It's HIPAA. You are not part of my family, nor do you have any business knowing about mental health issues that I have to face with my therapist. You may be contributing to the mental health issues I've been facing with my therapist. My therapist advised me to turn off comments for WordPress because of people like you, the trolls who may be looking for an idea or a threat to send me over the phone. And that reminds me, I heard that certain election officials are being threatened with bullets to the head and other such disgraceful things. Please leave government officials alone. You want to make a threat? be prepared to pay and if you make a death threat against somebody who works in government that's the FBI who might come after you and stuff they're already investigating people who threaten the Fulton County Georgia election workers I saw this on CNN and I'm not gonna go any further but threatening somebody's freedom because they're blind or physically handicapped and not living up to your stupid standards that's not cool. If you're somebody who has caused drama by threatening somebody, 
or trolling another person, you really need to have some faith in yourself. For one, you need to have faith in your own self and you need to look in the mirror at your own insecurities. People have been telling me that I am manipulative and entitled. Well, aren't we all manipulative, mind you? Because let's say you're an app developer. You want to get an app out on the market. So how in the hell are you going to get people to download your app? Because when people download apps, that's revenue for the developer and Apple. So how do you get... One of the first things to doing free apps is you write grants. Sometimes you write grants. Other times you might sell your app for a minimum of, say, $5.99. How do you get people to buy your app? You manipulate them to buy your app by the language of cult. This is going to sound really strange, but please read the language of... It's, it's called cultish. And it's by this lady who studies cults and she she studies cults and the language they have let's take say you wanted to try to convince me to go to CrossFit I found out that CrossFit is a cult you want me to go to a CrossFit box so how do you do it hey Beth guess what I found CrossFit it's so cool you get a paleo diet, you get exercise class, and all kinds of crap. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I could use the exercise. I'll go with you to the box. Not so fast. Because I know what these people do. With cult recruitment, cult recruitment does require a lot of manipulation, so... Hmm. Anyway, hmm. yeah, cult, cult recruitment requires someone with manipula manipulation skills, and the recruitment comes with a lot of figamajigs. Let's take the Jim Jones Church. I'll show you guys how they recruited people. This courtesy of Jeff Gwynn's book, The Road to Jonestown. So. This was back before the internet was a thing. Jim Jones is the number one craziest guy on earth. But I mean, he still had a brain, okay? Anyway, so Jim Jones' followers and Jim sometimes would go around passing out leaflets that seemed pretty innocent, right? So they go around passing out these leaflets and this was, like I said, before websites and the internet, okay? I'm sorry that Jim wasn't here when websites and the internet arrived. Maybe it's a good thing. Because the guy was crazy, man. I mean, he thought he was God and all that stuff. But <clears throat> the way Jim tried to get sympathy for his cult was he would pass out leaflets. That was how everyone did it back then, okay? 70s, 1978, 1971, whatever. In the 60s and 70s, you know, and then there were moves that were made too, and Jim went through people's mail, and 
you know, people said he could read minds. Oh, it was weird. If you want to read more about Jim Jones, I recommend you read The Road to Jonestown by Jeff Gwynn. And oh yes, he's from Texas. He's in the Texas Literary Hall of Fame. I love his book. I've read the book so many times. Um, it's the definitive. It's 24 hours long. It's on Bard. Trust me, you'll love it. Because if you're into cults and studying how people join those things, <laughs> the Jim Jones cult was pretty much like a church. It operated under the guise of a church. And it got worse and worse each year. Jim Jones had a tighter hold on his followers. CrossFit is one of the more modern day cults. CrossFit and, uh, oh God, there's a cycling place, but both of those have cult-like language to them. And they also, well, they're not as bad as this other cult that I'm about to mention. And I'm going to talk a little bit about, this is a cult that has something to do with yoga. I believe it was a spiritual cult that had characteristics of Sikhism and it had yoga involved. Damn, people love their yoga. And I don't mind hot yoga or easy yoga, whatever, but this is weird. Okay, this girl, Tasha, got into this yoga thing and she ended up changing her name to Tasha Cordai or something like that. Oh, damn. But uh, I can't remember how she did her last name offhand, but I know Cor was part of it. In Sikhism, this is the weird thing about Sikhism that I never understood worth my butt. Boys are called Singh. All boys have the last name Singh. All girls have the last name Kaur. So if it was me, I would have a given name and Kaur because I'm female. And if it was like my partner's male, but if I had a male... If there was a male born to us, his last name, if we were six, we would be known as, he would be known as something Singh. And there would be a special naming system the Sikhs use to name their kids. It's really weird, but it's interesting. It's not, it's not part of the weird cult um, completely, but this cult kind of stole some characteristics from Sikhism. And I... True Sikhism is like a meditative, devotional... Look, religions are not cults. True religions don't harm people. They don't close off to non-members and things. Sikhism doesn't actively seek converts, but there are people who are interested in Sikhism and they study it, but then you end up getting into these weird gurus and it just gets weirder and weirder. So you have to watch who you study when you're looking at spiritual paths and things. Uh, thank you, my friend Lavender, for uh, looking at spiritual stuff. Um, but yeah, the language of cult can be spoken in many different ways. And a cult leader has to have manipulation on his or her side, their side. They need to be a charismatic leader the three characteristics that make up a damaging cult are you have a charismatic leader with a concept, an idea, ultimate wisdom, and a good manipulator. 
That person has to draw you in and convince you that they're right and you're wrong. So for example, let's go back to Jim Jones. He convinced people he could raise the dead, that he was God. But you know what's even weirder is that he was charismatic. He was charismatic from the day he was a boy and he grew up. He was doing all kinds of weird shit. He was preaching since he was uh, 12. He wanted to be a pilot, but his brain was so malleable. Uh, kids' brains are usually malleable, impressionable. I don't know what got him into preaching, but, you know, besides the fact that he went to the Nazarene church with Miss Myrtle Kennedy, and, oh, poor Myrtle Kennedy. Oh, boy. And Jeff Gwynn interviews all kinds of people for this book that I talked about earlier. So, um, how does the Jim Jones cult add up to be a manipulative cult? First of all, there was a there was Jim. He was a he was a charismatic leader. He claimed to have all the answers, ultimate wisdom. Personally, I'm going to put you guys on the pedestal right here. Well, sort of put me, myself, under the hot seat. I am not a charismatic leader who claims ultimate wisdom. Fuck. You don't even have to listen to my podcast if you don't want to. And if I ever said that non-listeners were stupid and that I started preaching about, oh, well, Jesus is whatever, and if I started saying I am Jesus's mom, or if I claim ultimate wisdom or a concept that is even more ultimate wisdom and charisma, that would really scare a lot of people. Because charismatic leaders are good at drawing people in and they, get, they give you answers that may seem like your beliefs, but if you get closer to these people, you might be in danger, as Jim Jones' followers were. The second thing that cults are like, they have rigid, rigid, rigid boundaries. Now, Islam has a bunch of rigid boundaries, but there's no charismatic leader, and there's no real organization about the third characteristic, which I'll talk about in a second, called chain of command. So, the Roman Catholic Church does not have a charismatic leader, but they have a leader called the Pope. I studied this church for years. Believe me, I was in the church for years. I studied the church, and I studied the chain of command and how it works. But there's a lot of pageantry in the Catholic Church, and it's not like... There's not a super huge, rigid set of boundaries. They're, they didn't need those boundaries after Jesus died and the people started preaching and supposedly he rose from the dead. Now that's what I'm saying, supposedly. I don't believe that resurrection is possible because scientifically, when you're dead, you're dead, honey. Just like in Terminator, when, remember, if you remember watching the first Terminator movie when the waitress, Sarah, I think it's Sarah Jane or Sarah J. Connor. She's over there doing her thing, serving customers, yada, yada. And 
then the news comes on that Sarah Connor was shot. And a waitress looks at her and says, you're dead, honey. <laughs> exactly. So when you're, when you die, you're dead. Your body is going to decompose into the whatever. I'm not going to give you the gory details, but you get the point. And Jim Jones claimed that he could expel cancer from bodies. One of the weird things about charismatic leaders claiming ultimate wisdom, they can claim magic, miracles, and other weird stuff. Well, unfortunately, that can't happen. Because I read in the book that when the people were being told that they were going to get well from cancer, what they did was they took the... um the guts of a chicken and lumped them together and said, okay, here's the cancer. That's fake. You gotta be careful with these fake faith healing people too. And there are some people who say, oh, well, I, I want to start a church and I need X dollars and cents for it. If you're taking out huge super X dollars and cents for this person, and then they run away with your money, and then they start drawing you in. They're probably a con artist and a cult leader. It could be both. So one of the examples in a book called the Straight Talk About Cults book, it's, okay, so there's a case composite of a guy named Master X. He claims to have ultimate wisdom, so he fits the definition of charismatic leader. He wears business suits. Okay. Sounds like he's a crafty dude. He ends up counseling this woman who has everything, you know, and she's like, what do I do with my daughter? She says, I'm spending too much money on you. Then he ups the price and then she ends up putting her late husband's life insurance on him, not the house, not paying the bills and everything. And her daughter's like, you're being silly, mom. This guy is stealing your money. And of course they get into arguments, mother and daughter. Look, if you're a parent and you're being approached by Master X or someone like him, someone like Master X is out to get your money. So just be careful. If you're a parent, you should know the old maxim, the kids come first, family first. So. Your money should really be going toward buying you and your family some food, water, and shelter. And if your spouse ends up dead from natural causes, cancer, and the like, don't give your money to someone who is likely to, to prey on your grief. Be very careful with these people. These people claiming spiritual services and services of any sort trust them. I don't. And these charismatic people can be con artists and cult leaders at the same time. I think Jim Jones was probably the weirdest con artist, but his followers comprised of a deadly suicide, murder-suicide in 1979 or 1978 or whatever in the jungles of Guyana. This was a, there was a, the Jonestown site is no longer really there anyway, but I read the prologue. I'm just going to kind of summarize it a little bit. 
Basically, the Guyanese defense people went out there, and there were a bunch of kids, teenagers in the, the group, and some guy named Roberts was leading them. They took a trip to Jonestown to see what the hell was going on. They found the bodies. Too many to count, lying around in the hall. The great pavilion where the Jonestown people would go to church and listen to Jim writhe on his little diatribes and such. And a lot of cults have farms and places. Now, there are certain cults that are not really going to make it as religions. Besides Jonestown, they, they, they just offed with a, with a Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. And the kids had, and the babies were injected with the cyanide. It was just sad. And that is why we pay much closer attention to the, char the charisma of a leader. The, the rigid boundaries in Jonestown and the Jim Jones cult included things like you couldn't watch TV, you had to work your butt off all day for the temple, you had to do so many things. Cults usually do that kind of thing, and it isn't just big cults. There are many mind control groups, and I read something about a young lady who was sucked into a cult. Pray for the Parsis or get fucked. That was what happened to the cult. Now, I'm sorry I spoke a profane word, but what I mean by get fucked was basically if you didn't pray for the Parsis standing up, you were disciplined and you didn't even get to eat. There were no, you had to check in with the leader to do things like eating and 17 provided a good list of basic things you could not do in a cult. You can't even do the basics of human things, even in the Jim Jones cult. Terry Buford was having trouble interacting with people when she got out. And uh, yeah, Terry Buford was um, one of Jim Jones's followers and she was trying to get away from an abusive mom. Cults prey on people trying to get away from abusive family members. I would have suggested to Terry to go find social services and get her mom arrested or something. And if she had been 17, I would have said, well, then you'll need to go to foster care and there would have been no choice. I wouldn't have wanted to see anyone that is falling under the abuse of a parent get recruited by a cult. Parents, if you're in the cult, obviously, I'm not sure how many people are in cults, but there's a lot of problems with cults in the United States and there are female cult leaders out there. I found a book that I think you guys might enjoy. If you really want to see another podcast about cults, there is one called, yep, Cults. It's with Greg and Vanessa. I need to go check that one out myself and I want to plug this podcast because my buddy Barb suggested it. Thank you. Um, but yeah, Jim Jones is one of the favorites, a favorite example of mine where you have all the characteristics of a cult. Jim, Jim was a manipulator, a master charismatic wisdom thief. Oh my God, that guy was crazy because he thought he was God. There was a... Watch Mojo video and Charles Manson also had a little charisma and he thought he was God and stuff. 
David Koresh was on that list. Oh, boy. And I betcha Warren Jeffs should have been on that list because Warren Jeffs was, he thought he was God's mouthpiece on Earth, which is pretty close to saying, I am God. Obey me. If you're a woman, you have to get raped by your relative. And da-da-da. No, 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 no. I would never want to be in a cult like that or a church that thinks it's a church, but it acts like a cult. That is what the FLDS does. And, you know, and what, what I heard Warren's voice, it crept me out, baby. Oh, my God. So, if you think that I have any of the characteristics of a charismatic leader, guess what? I am not the person to ask about things like, what is it like to die? What is it like to blah, blah, blah. Look, I know there are scientists out there like, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She just, she talked about the stages of death and grief and things. What a depressing subject. <laughs> but I did read about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She was a scientist who studied death and grief and stuff. And there was all those Sigmund Freud-esque neo-Freudian scientists out there that I had to read about. And a lot of these scientists had stages of development in boys, and it all had to do with sex. Weird? Yes. But I think it also does not explain why women are being abused. But one of Freud's patients actually became an activist for women. Her name was Bertha Pappenheim, I think. Bertha, Goethe Pappenheim? Shoot. Yeah, her name was Goethe Pappenheim, and she was the victim of abuse herself. She was one of Freud's first talk therapy patients. Anna O, she was written as. But, you know, if someone needs help, don't accuse them of being manipulative and entitled and stuff. That's not going to help the situation at all. If someone asks for help, I provided a few key responses. I hope the info about cults does help, though, in deciding who you're going to approach. And I'll talk about the symptoms of a cult in an another episode. I'm going to try and listen to the cults podcast because I want to. And I, wanted st I think it would be neat to study cults and help cult victims because there are a lot of weird things that cult victims are led to believe. For example, the young lady with the Parsis, she was told the Parsis had to convert to Christianity or go to hell. Well, isn't that every Roman Catholic circa like 1962? <sighs> Even before my parents were born, when my grandparents went to church, they had to do the confession thing. The priest had a book of pun punishments and penances. But when you go to a priest today, you can go to the confessional. You can do it out in pew, whatever. And the priest will tell you to say a couple prayers. But the thing is, the Roman Catholic Church is only a spiritual need for some people. So if say you went to the priest and said, I murdered somebody. I imagine they should be calling the authorities and saying somebody murdered somebody because two Hail Marys is not enough 
to bring back somebody's life. Which leads me to, I wonder what the mastermind of the 9-11 attacks is thinking right now. Because that guy is sitting in prison, no trial yet, 20 years later, the Taliban took over Afghanistan again, and they're trying to hurt us again. You know what? They played Iago from Return of Jafar. If you've ever watched that film, I know it was a blockbuster flop, and it was a Disney straight to, you know, home video flop. It's on Disney Plus, though, if you want to check it out. Um, Iago made a promise to Aladdin that he would not work with Jafar again, but uh-oh, guess what he did? He turned around, he betrayed Aladdin and worked with Jafar. Not a good idea, right? So, Jafar is our evil dude, right? So what does the Taliban represent? I think the Taliban and their leaders represent Iago and Jafar pretty well. Iago pretty much did the same thing the Taliban did over the last two weeks. When they said, oh, we'll let women have their rights, we'll let women... But they did not want women in the cabinet, in the government. They didn't allow them to participate in government or vote or anything of that nature. They're doing something, they're saying one thing and doing another. That's what Iago did in the film. So if you want to, you know, have a good comparison for what the Taliban are doing, I'm not going to go into the exact details, but you've seen it all on the news. And if you want a good book on remembering 9-11, I suggest reading Thunderdog by Michael Hinkson. Please read Thunderdog by Michael Hinkson because it is about Michael Hinkson and Roselle the 9-11 guide dog. I do not talk about just my day in reference to 9-11. I talk about Roselle the 9-11 guide dog. I actually like how the her heroics of Roselle saved lots of lives. Roselle was a very brave dog. And for the 20th anniversary of 9-11, I want to put her name up there somewhere. But I imagine someone will put a statue of Roselle, and I think she needs one. She needs a statue, a lifelike statue, made of flowers, put somewhere in New York, with a harness and collar, the whole nine yards. And... I just want to see a statue. I don't know if there is a statue of Roselle, but if the Guide Dogs for the Blind has a statue of the 9-11 Guide Dog, that will be wonderful. And it's a good credit to GDB for having raised such a special dog. And Guide Dogs, I'm going to talk a little bit about Guide Dogs. Um, guide Dogs are helper dogs for the blind, for those initiates that are new, when they are born, they're usually transferred to a puppy raiser six to eight weeks after they're born because every dog, service or otherwise, must stay with its mom for eight weeks and nurse. The mom provides the nursing and all of that. The puppies will also be vaccinated against parvo and other weird viruses. So each pup goes to a puppy raiser, an experienced puppy raiser, or a young puppy raiser. It doesn't matter. 
So in the puppy raiser stage, a dog that guides learns sit, stay, up, forward, left, right. It depends on the guide dog school's list of things. Each, each month, the dogs are all gathered together. It depends on the school, but they, they go like for a certain number, for a period of time, they have an evaluation thingy. And the evaluations basically determine whether a pup is cut from the program or continues on in guide dog training. For those that are cut, they have to find good positive attributes for the dog. It depends on the dog. Now, with, with Roselle, I imagine she went through evaluations where she was given distract, distractible things like toys and she had to ignore them. They were showing her things like forward, back, and all those things. There are other things Roselle had to learn to do as well. And by the time she got back to guide dog school, and this is called the college stage, after the puppy is about a year old, then the puppy goes in for actual guide dog training. Depending upon how far the dog goes in guide training, the dog will meet its potential owner by age two. If you want to watch GDB dogs, pups go through training, please watch Pick of the Litter. There's one on Hulu, one on Disney Plus. And Pick of the Litter is amazing. It's, it's an amazing show. However, it does have little credits and titles. You should pay attention. Out of five dogs in a litter, three of them will get cut. The only dogs in a litter that may be picked, who knows? Some of the dogs, there's one dog that might become a breeder. Roselle, the 911 guide dog's mom, I believe her name was, was it Trinity? And I can't remember who her father's name was, but boy, she came from a good bloodline. She was, by, by the time she turned one, I imagine that Roselle had a very good education as a guide dog. By two, she was, she and Michael were paired up. Michael had to learn Roselle pretty quickly. He was an experienced guide dog handler, so he knew the ropes. He went to GDB, he got Roselle, the course for him, she was a successor dog, but for the first time, guide dog handlers like, well, average Joe Blindy, me, and Trenton, for instance, we'd have to go to a four-week dog training course outside of the state of Colorado, more likely. GDB usually pays for everything, and you get the dog for free, and they also have, like, veterinary Discounts, which is kind of why I would have chosen GDB for my own guide dog if I had one. And of course, I think that Roselle the 911 guide dog set the damn gold standard for guide dogs. She really did. I mean, really. She was a hero, okay? She wasn't even a police dog. But dogs like Roselle are rare and hard to find. So, let me tell you something. When Roselle died, all those years later, I mean, she had many years with Michael. She had many years with Michael. 
they were paired for a number of years. I saw Michael talk about Roselle and how she did her thing on 9-11. She was a young pup, but now she's with a thousand dogs in the fields and who knows, across the bridge. Um, her name came up for a posthumous award from the uh, HSUS, the Humane Association of the United States, your Humane Society. They awarded Roselle the 9-11 guide dog a posthumous award. Michael took it, and I guess he's got it hanging in his room or wherever. But Roselle is the thing I remember about 9-11. Although I was never really a direct witness to Michael's and Roselle's adventures. Please read Thunderdog by Michael Hinkson. And you will learn the story of Roselle and you'll also learn Michael's story. Now, like I said, Roselle was Michael's successor dog and dog handlers with experience are good. And same with the puppy raisers that help him out along the way. There have been transfers. I don't even understand the whole point of transfers anyway, but um, GDB also has um, times when they will examine a dog for breeding. Some dogs, like there was this one, oh God, this one dog in Pick of the Litter was picked for a breeder, and I won't tell you which. You gotta watch the episodes. But um, I did see a couple breeder exams. Those were interesting. They weigh the dog, they look at the dog's testicles, or the dog's uterus. It depends on which. But some of the male dogs that GDB has will end up in the colony as a stud or a breeder. For seeing eye, they have a breeding colony of labs, German Shepherds. I don't know if they still use German Shepherds. I've seen a German Shepherd dog guide before, and boy, they, German Shepherds in the seeing eye, they were gentle dogs, very gentle dogs. But seeing eye dogs and guide dogs, as the ones that are not from Morristown are called, are all gentle, loving, caring animals. They will also learn to disobey you on command. Like, say I said forward to a dog, and the dog saw something that I wasn't expecting. The dog is going to say to me, by his, her, their body language, they're going to say something like, no, Beth, you're not going nowhere because I saw a car go by on the street and da-da-da. <laughs> I mean, as if it was a human, if the dog had a human brain and human speech, it would have probably said something like, no, no, you're going to get splatted by that car. Stay where you are. <laughs> it's, and it's, 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 it's their body language that tells you, like, when they're not moving, you know something's wrong. The dog might have picked up on something that you don't know. So without saying a word, you just wait, and then you just say forward again. If there's a lull in the traffic, you just have to be careful where you're going. The dog's eyes are great. They can guide you around, like, obstacles and stuff, but there are certain things a dog can't do. Like, you can't tell the dog, take me to Joe's Pizza. You have to know the route pretty well. So, like, I've seen the whole guide dog thing before. I've even met a few guide dog handlers. And by the way, for you guide dog handlers out there, please, 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 please bring your dogs. I'll have a blanket for you in my place. And I actually did go to a restaurant to celebrate a friend's birthday and I met her friend who has a level five service dog. 
dogs pick up on all kinds of things, including your anxiety, including the sweat on your boobs, which I'm gonna go back into the bedroom in a little bit because now my chest is full of sweat. Oh God, <sighs> it's hot in here, hot in here, hot in here, whatever. But for those of you who are wondering, this is gonna be the second half of the podcast kickoff. I'm gonna do talk about a little other things. Um, yeah. So, um, it's been 20 years since 9/11. My question to you was, in as few words as possible, or if you can't do a few words, you can email me at denverqueen@gmx.com. Tell me where you were at 9/11, and I might pick a favorite story to read on the podcast. Also, I need your monetary support for the podcast. Um, I believe we're gonna set up buy me a coffee. We need a buy me a coffee button to be put on the main uh, site. But I'm gonna show you the buy me a coffee link very soon. You will have the chance to support me monetarily with a $1, $5, $2. I don't care how many dollars you put in there. But I'm also gonna see about putting a few bonus episodes for my devoted fans. I'm actually wondering if I should do a cooking episode. And now, this is not a crime. I'm not stealing any money. I just want your support so that I can do more content like that. And if you guys like what you hear, or even if there's something that I can do more of, please, I need positive feedback. Again, denverqueen at gmx.com. I will be having a buy me a coffee button and Spotify has Stripe and weird stuff. We'll talk about that later. Thanks all. This week's social justice moment, I'd like to talk about white privilege and sex offenders and all that fun stuff. There was a story that broke in the Gambit, which is a uh, news outlet in Ruston, Louisiana. This will be especially good for my blind buddies out there who are still reeling from whatever the hell this news story covered, and I'm about to talk about it. 25-year-old Michael Osmond was arrested, thank God, in Ruston, Louisiana for a crime of molesting a little girl when she was like 16 or 17 or so. He was accused of molesting a juvenile or person with physical or mental disability. I think that's what the charge was. I read the story and I want to say that I'm very proud of the way this reporter is covering it. Kaylee Poche is being honest. She's not putting weird embellishments into a news story like this. The Gambit is a news outlet in Louisiana that covers Baton Rouge and freaking New Orleans, places around Louisiana. This is a state outlet. It's a little newspaper. I don't know how many of you know about this, but I, I know a lot. 
Now, that is to say, I hope this is a justice moment for the blind community. I've been hurt one too many times, and blind men have also tried to hurt me and accuse me of sexual harassment and other crap. So to see Michael Osman's arrest and the mugshot, it's a relief for everybody. And it's not just LCB students. I also think it is a relief for CCB students as well. If you have gone to the Colorado Center for the Blind, honestly, I don't even know if I wanna do any association with the Colorado Center for the Blind or any center for the blind or even the NFB because they might have mishandled the Michael Osmond case. But let me just say what will happen to Michael from now on. Now, he's going to need to spend time in a jail. Of course. That's a given. When you molest a teenager, your privacy goes out the window. And for Michael, that is especially true. He will have to go to a jail with sanitary living conditions. I don't know if that's possible in Louisiana, but uh, we'll just have to see. Currently, as far as the prisoner rights thing goes, um, I understand that the United States has an incarceration issue. The thing is, Michael has been doggedly trying to avoid talking about I molested the girl and I did this. That's the first thing he's gonna have to do to himself. He's gonna have to say nothing more about the lawyer. It's him. He has to battle his problem. But the first step to any recovering addict or even a sex offender becoming a more whole human being is they have to admit their problem. I've seen this happen many times in a rehab setting in Florida where there were like a lot of substance abuse people and substance abuse is basically a big thing in a lot of places now. I mean, the big topic is addiction. But for Michael, he doesn't have a sex addiction. What he did was wrong. He needs to admit to what he did being wrong. No, no more of this talk to my lawyer bullcrap. Okay? From what Kaylee Poche said, from what Poche said in the story, he has been avoiding the investigator and then they basically put, they put up a warrant for his arrest because he would not talk. It was all about the lawyer. He lawyered up. That was pretty quick. Yeah, that's a sign the dude did something wrong. While he's in jail, Michael is gonna have to engage in a lot of things to prove that he's either, well, he is accountable for this, okay? I'm not saying he isn't, but he needs to prove that he can do certain things in a community that may not want to see him anymore. Michael should not be released back into a full membership of the NFB. He should never be released into a community of families and children that may decry his presence. There are many sex offender laws. He may have to register as an RSO 
Very, very much so. Not only is he going to have to register as an RSO, this guy will have the most difficult life ahead of him. Watch this. He is not going to be able to live within a certain number of miles, feet, a radius will be put around every daycare, school, and so on. But there is indeed hope for Michael and his victim as well. His victim will no longer need to see him again, duh. But Michael, let's just say that if he admits his problems and wrongdoings and engages in groups and dialogue with other sex offender males, he may indeed evade touching kids again. He may yet be able to live in the community with restrictions, but I think those restrictions are pretty damn reasonable if you ask me. In Florida, where I came from, the Jessica Lunsford law applies to all sex offenders living in that state. Now, I want to thank guys like Mark Lunsford, who was Jessica's dad, for coming out and talking about sex offenses and so on. Of course, what we need to understand, though, is that there are certain treatments that do not work for sex offenders. One of those treatments is law in Alabama. Had Michael been caught in Alabama, he would have had to undergo chemical castration. Oops, Kay Ivy does not know her brain science. Chemical castration is not a valid thing. Chemical castration does not work on approximately, I would say 95% of sex offenders. Sex offenses are purely psychological and physical but not chemical. Because what Michael did was a psychological tear up of a victim. It involved his physical body, so it's physical, okay? You can't chemically castrate Michael and expect him not to have sexual feelings anymore. He'll, he'll rebel against that, and then he'll turn around and put more things in his body that'll make him more aroused longer I have extensive knowledge of all this because I was forced to take on that extensive knowledge Michael is hardly the only man in the blind community who can mess around with minors and say I didn't do it I was abused myself by a man named Rico Guerra and his name appears, Ricardo Guerra's name appears in several different legal documents that talking about like getting a restraining order on him. Rico has not understood, nor does he care to understand the prolonged effects that the sex abuse had on me. Now, thankfully, the victim of Michael Osmond, her mom, is much more supportive. She gives a damn about her surviving daughter, her daughter survivor. She gives a damn about the response that she exudes. 
Parents, if your child is abused by a sex offender, if your child is abused by anyone for that matter, and they don't want to take responsibility for their actions, do not, under any circumstances, blame the victim. It is not the victim's fault that Michael assaulted her. It is no victim's fault that someone assaults them. It is not the victim's fault. However, when you respond inappropriately through certain actions and or channels, you're putting a victim blaming on the victim. For example, when your friends or other blind adults in the community start calling the victim things like sexy little temptress, slut, shaming whore and all this stuff, that makes the victim feel very bad and that makes her recovery that much harder. For non-binary folks, being assaulted is even double the problem. It's a problem for the victims. Always a problem for the victims. The victims who endure these assaults are called slut and other pejorative terms like temptress, etc., to keep them apart from the community. I was called spoiled. Ever since the sex abuse, I was also reported on by Daytona rehab people. But then Colorado scaled back my, or tried to scale back my program. I had to argue with Julie a couple times and I had to do frequent check-ins with her. And I had to see a counselor who really wasn't really wasn't I don't want to say that this guy wasn't great but the counselor was the only one for CCB students and I couldn't afford it on my own because I didn't have the money so what does the Colorado Center for the Blind do they go ahead and give me a damn scholarship this young girl that Michael molested is going to have to endure traumatic name-calling, toxic crap. It is not her fault that the guy molested her. It's not her fault. Let's get that through our heads right now. It is not the victim's fault. When you respond, however, by placing a guardianship on your victim, that is also a big problem. Guardianship strips the victim of all rights to medical, social and other such aspects of humanity. Thankfully, the mother of the victim did not do something like this. However, my mom and dad did. And they blamed me and blamed me fully for exchanging large sums of money with Rico for having sex with Rico and other problematic things. I'm sure my parents probably even said that I was a temptress and that I was not to take initiative. There was even gender abuse before the RICO incident happened. It all starts at home and it all starts with the victim or potential victim as baby. If the victim is a three-year-old girl and she's being called names like this, that has to stop. 
In the blindness community, it is particularly of paramount importance. It is particularly paramount that we start to not blame victims. The blind community also needs to understand there are no temptresses in the room. Nobody is a slut. There is none of that. The slut walks that people are doing frequently to make awareness among the people of the word slut and its implications on victims also applies to the blind. Now, let's see if I can get off my soapbox and talk about what Michael is going to endure. Now, the victim, his victim, is already traumatized and she's going to have to endure a lot. The only way this is going to stop is that the community starts supporting her. They need to keep her away from her attacker. They need to step in and say, we're sorry this happened. I think the LCB should pay this girl up to $150,000 a month now. Don't tell her she needs to get a job. What? They're going to tell her that she could get a job at a bar. Some guy might make comments about, yeah, I want to eat her. Da, da, da. That happened to another friend of mine. I won't mention her name just in case she doesn't want it there. But there was a girl in Virginia who said, oh, but the president of the NFB said this and da 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 da. She tells a very compelling survivor story. I'm only going to say that her name, her name indicates that it's her turn to talk. Women are going to talk. And for those of you who are wondering, I am very much in support of the NFB Marching Together movement because there's just been a lot of toxicity within my own disabled community. That needs to quit. When I ask for healthy living conditions, I'm not spoiled. When I ask for no sex offense, I'm also spoiled. That is how the blind community views me. And that has to stop. I'm not spoiled if I'm asking for simple favors like, you know, living arrangements have to be sanitary. I want the washer dryer in the unit. And the only reason why I said that is because of this. The way the building is set up, you have to do the communal laundromat thing. And there are no machines that work in some weeks, months that we've used the laundromat. My awesome caregiver has had to steal and beg for washers and dryers because my clothing has to be washed at least. I need clothing that will support me through and I've got this thing to do today which is um it's a kickoff and we're doing race work at the church. So as of this recording, I will have done some various things at my church. They're doing a race work workshop, which is really cool. And you got to register and all that, but I'm going to be talking to folks like there's this community minister called Ruth and she's really cool. And there's a bunch of neat people, neat people. And I want to say this church has been more open. They don't blame victims. They don't say that women are temptresses. 
They don't call me a whore for being with the guy I like, which is a big insult to women everywhere. <sighs> now, what will justice look like for Michael? Yes, he's gonna have to spend time in a prison, followed by probation, in which Michael will have to spend a lot of money treating his ass for sex offense. It's not gonna look good for Michael if he has to be on SSI and all of it goes to his treatment. We don't know what the justice will actually look like in Louisiana, but I do know this much about Louisiana law. If a dangerous sex offender moves into a certain neighborhood, they, the sex offender, has to provide a poster and it's like, what is it, like two mile radius for rural areas and within three feet or a few streets, there's a certain radius that Michael has to distribute these freaking posters. He will have to put something like sex offender on the posters. The other things for Michael that are gonna be quite difficult are these. Once he leaves jail and starts his probationary period, it'll likely be six to eight, maybe even 10 years probation. I would say about maybe a few years prison sentence but the 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 treatment is going to involve this he's going to have to put a stop sign in his window sex offender residence it will say i have talked to several friends who told me that sex offenders are not allowed to participate in halloween so for michael poor michael I'm saying this kind of sarcastically. But he's going to have to have his lights out for Halloween. And the Department of Corrections may go around checking things out. Denver does this and many more things. Thank you all for letting me get on my uh, social justice soapbox. You're going to see a, a shorter social justice thing each week. I kind of want to focus more on the other stuff, but the social justice moment is going to be about various topics that are not covered on national and international news. So for instance, the Michael Osman case is not covered by Fox, NBC, ABC, and so on. But I want to thank Kaylee Pochet and the Gambit for doing a wonderful job of covering this. And Louisiana local outlets might cover it, but I'm going to pick this story up because there are not just sex offenders blind in Louisiana. Sex offenders have disabilities, don't have disabilities, and they come in many shapes and colors all over the world. And it all depends on the cultural response, what the sex offender does, gets, whatever, and the victim. If you like what you heard, please feel free to like the page, the fan page. Um, I'm gonna look for some more social justice things. Apple News is a great source of social justice stuff. They've got like social issues. And I'm not gonna talk about the super 
like big social issues, but we need to talk about issues from the lens of a disability justice person. When Michael does his sex offender treatment, I think it's disability justice. Because abusing disabled people while you're disabled yourself is wrong. Thank you all very much. And if you have any feedback you want to submit for the podcast, please email me at denverqueen at gmx.com. The email will be on the constructed main site. I will tell you what that main site is when we construct it, but we're constructing it already. So it's under construction. Thank you all very much and have a great day.